What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Donks, the weekly NBA show over here at Slab Stocks. I'm your host, Sam. I've been babysitting my kids all day. Haven't showered yet, feeling gross. But you know what? We've got NBA action to consider. We've got card market to consider. None of that is gross. It's all fun. Let's just get right into it. Pop my uh, blue light glasses on here. If you work for Felix Gray and you want to sponsor the show, uh, feel free to do so. I get headaches if I'm not wearing my blue light glasses. By the way, I said I was babysitting my kids, but since they're my kids, it's just known as parenting, so not really babysitting. Uh, first thing I wanted to consider today, I saw this pop up, and I've been seeing more of these stories pop up in the wake of the GameStop run from a few weeks back. Uh, on this one from the Wall Street Journal, uh, the Twitter description, which read, a 25-year-old security guard was so enthusiastic about GameStop that he took out a $20,000 personal loan and used it to buy shares. Now his investment is down nearly 80%. Other small-time investors have lost big, too. I understand that this type of stuff happens whenever the opportunity presents itself to get rich quick, or at least... The illusion of the opportunity to get rich quick presents itself. Please do not do this. You know, I, I know that most, I know that people do it. But if you're watching this, I don't want you to do it. You know, making money takes time in most cases. Trying to short circuit that time by borrowing money or spending money beyond your means is simply going to hurt you most of the time. Uh, if there are cards that you want to buy and flip down the road, please don't take out a loan or buy on credit. You just use what you have available. And if you don't have it, look elsewhere, save up for it. You know, whenever you're making an investment, you should be asking yourself, Am I comfortable losing all of this money? You're putting your money at risk. You should be comfortable losing it should it come to that. So I just bought $30 of Dogecoin the other week just because I thought it sounded fun. I also realized that there was a chance I'd just be throwing all of my money away, but I'm comfortable losing $30 if I need to. Could I have bought $500 at the time and sold it the next day for $750? Sure but my family needs that $500. My wife and kids would have been put through a lot of discomfort if I had lost that. So please, if you watch my videos, please don't do this type of thing. I assume most of you don't, but we keep seeing stories with you know increasing frequency of people doing this very thing. And I realize that since people are doing it with stocks, they're probably also doing it with trading cards. Uh, and since I talk about cards and investing, I really don't want to be facilitating people losing their money. Uh, so please be smart about this. Don't be greedy. Uh, this idea was suggested by my guy, Duncan. It's also something that people seem to hypothesize about a lot. Will guys get a bump in prices after their first all-star selection? Or, you know, in that same vein, after they win an MVP or after they win a championship, etc.? Well, we're, we're into all-star voting for this year already. The fans, the players, the media members, they're going to be selecting the five starters from each conference. Then the coaches will be selecting the reserves, the commissioners selecting any injury replacements. The starters should be announced sometime soon. I think it's sometime this week. So if there's and then there's the reserves that are going to be announced next week. So if there's any jump at all to be seen in prices, it will be coming within the next two weeks, theoretically. Well, last year we had 10 players making their first all-star appearance. So I thought we'd look at some auction data from last season to see if their prices would take any leaps. Starting out with 
Pascal Siakam, the Cam Cameroonian big man playing north of the border, was coming off of a season in which he won the league's most improved player award, also was a key cog in the Raptors' 2019 NBA Finals championship run. He followed it up with his best season and his first All-Star appearance, but the chart is pretty lame. Uh, from the first auction during the 2019-20 season to the final one before the NBA shutdown, which re represents only nine auctions, Siakam's 2019 Prism Silver PSA 10 rookie card dropped 37% in overall value. All-star selections were announced on January 30th, and not only did we not see a meaningful bump after that date, there were hardly any auctions to speak of. He might be a bad example for us to consider because most of his card action was related to the slowly developing realization that Siakam probably wasn't going to be the focal point star of his team like many had hoped he would become. So we see a lot of disappointment being shown in his market both last year and his current season for that matter. So perhaps we got to look somewhere else to get a more definitive answer on the all-star bump. Uh, maybe Jason Tatum would be a better case for us to consider. And just a quick perusal of the chart would seem to indicate that the all-star designation did lead to a substantial jump in his market. From the first auction on Tatum's 2017 Prism Silver PSA 10 rookie card all the way to the very last such auction before the NBA season was suspended, a total of 39 auctions, this particular card enjoyed a healthy 275% return on investment, which is not too shabby at all. And we see the vast majority of that growth coming after the January 30th announcement that he'd been selected as an all-star reserve. So that's promising, but we should also consider everything that happened on the court after that point. Now, the first auction before the all-star announcement was held on January 22nd, uh, ending at 326. I should say the last auction before the all-star announcement, $326. The next auction took place post all-star announcement. Actually, there was two auctions within a three-day period, both ending a full half month later. And there was an increase as they ended at an average price of $522, which with you doing the quick math, that's a 60% increase in just a few weeks. So perhaps there's some all-star bump going on but that really pales in comparison to the run on his marketplace that began near the end of the month. Starting with an auction on February 25th, there were eight of these auctions which took place in just about a week, ending at an average price of $1,116, which equals a 114% increase in just a few short weeks. So clearly there was something more to the jump than just the all-star announcement, which was old news by that point. Uh, that something was just an 11-game stretch through the month of February when Jason Tatum temporarily became the best player on earth. During that stretch, the Celtics went 8-3 while Tatum averaged 31 points, 8.5 rebounds, 3 assists, a steal, a block. He nailed 48% of his threes on over 9 attempts per game with an elite true shooting of nearly 65%. Excellent stuff during that time. And really, that's what led to this astronomical rise in Tatum's market. You know, every media outlet was reporting on Tatum at the time. 538 ran an analysis on how he became a star. Sports Illustrated anointed him as a star. LeBron James named Tatum an absolute problem. And then the LA Times broke down how Tatum became a legit superstar overnight. Just in 10 games, they said. All of those were written between February 21st and February 29th. And then if we take a look back at the chart, 
we see what was really driving his market up. No definitive proof that this was his all-star selection. Rather, it appears to have been the byproduct of good on-court play, certainly, but then also a media blitz to capitalize on the hottest story in basketball at the time, which led to a massive rise in the market almost overnight, and it did coincide with a lot of new press for the young St. Louis native. So we can still look at some of the other first-year All-Stars from last year. Like last year's Most Improved Player of the award, uh, Player of the Year Award winner, Brandon Ingram, even though a large chunk of the year his Prism Silver PSA 10 rookie was seeing a pretty regular price hike, none of the auctions ended at a higher price point than the first two of the season, which means that overall his market drops 19% between November and February. And after the All-Star announcement, there was really just no jump in price at all. Only two auctions ended after that date, and they both represented a price drop since before the All-Star teams were announced. Uh, Donovan Mitchell's case also presents some evidence kind of poo-pooing any sort of All-Star bump. He had a pretty flat market overall last season with his PSA 10 Prism Silver rookie card increasing only about 7% from the beginning of the season until just before the NBA suspended play. And then the all-star replace or the all-star reserves were announced, and we saw no significant bump of any time after his all-star announcement. And last we can consider another first-time all-star from last year. That's Bam Adebayo, who certainly had a significant increase in his overall market, a 133% increase from October through February. And although a sizable chunk came at post-all-star announcement, it wasn't immediate. And on the basis of everything else that we've seen so far, I think it's safe to say that the price increase was not tied to his all-star status. So my big conclusion, which you can probably already figure out, there really just doesn't seem to be much correlation between all-star appearances and card market price growth. Certainly, all-star appearances are directly tied to on-court performance. And while the card market performance is somewhat tied to on-court performance, we've also seen time and again that there are so many other contributing factors, which often may impact a card's value even more than the actual on-court performance. If there's any growth in a player's market due to an MVP or an all-star appearance, most of that growth seems to have been had in a run-up to that recognition being given. So if this affects your investment strategy at all, it will probably be in connection with one of these two players, those two players being Zach Levine and Jalen Brown, the two guys that I figure to have maybe the best chance of becoming first-time All-Stars this year, but I also have no idea if they will be. Also up for consideration would be guys like Colin Sexton, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Jamal Murray, probably a few others, but I really just want an excuse to talk about Zach Levine for a bit. By the way, I chose to feature a random Court Kings rookie of his. I've really been getting into the Court Kings product of late. I think they're beautiful designs. I like the canvas texture to them. If you're looking for personal collection pieces of your favorite players at a bit more affordable prices, I'd recommend looking into Court Kings. And you used to kind of think that they're maybe a bit too busy for my taste, but as I get priced out of the other brands, Court Kings has been looking better and better. So take a look into that if you have a player that you've been eyeing. Uh, about a month ago, in my video from January 12th, I had this chart up with Zach Levine's 2019 stats compared to every other 25-point-per-game scorer in the NBA to show why I think he's been a pretty uninteresting investment up to this point. And although I was very down on the prospects of him suddenly becoming a well-rounded player, I did throw in the caveat that perhaps he will start getting better in all those categories. 
But I really only said that so you couldn't hold anything against me. Uh, it's not that I believe he automatically would. Uh, well, I wanted to bring this back today as he is on our minds as a potential first-time All-Star, and he has gotten much more well-rounded. Uh, whereas last year, Levine was quite a bit worse than your average 25-point-per-game scorer in nearly every category other than scoring. This year, he's closer to average in most categories. If you're looking at the chart here on YouTube, you can probably guess the color code. Green is good. Red is bad. Every shade in between is varying degrees of average. If you're colorblind, I'm very sorry. Uh, but this year, Zach Levine has been pretty close to average in most categories. A little worse than average in some, and a big positive in his shooting percentages. Uh, average might not really get you too excited, but when we compare that to last year, he's improved nearly across the board. His shooting numbers are up in true shooting, three-point percentage, free throw percentage. His rebounds are up, assists are up, assist percentage, PER, box plus minus, offensive rating, and net rating, all big increases across the board. That's really, really good to see from a guy that's already playing in his seventh year, and he's been around forever. But he is still only 25 years old, so he can still be improving for a bit. Certainly has been improving on his weaknesses this year. Now, I still don't believe that the Bulls are going to be considering Zach Levine as a long-term piece to build around. I assume he's more valuable to them as a trade piece. I could be wrong. But some of his gaudy counting stats really are a result of him playing without an amazing supporting staff. You know, for instance... Think about this year with CP3 on the Suns, Devin Booker's shot attempts, they're down, his points are down, his assists are down, his rebounds are down. We see this often. When a good player is finally surrounded by good talent, his numbers will probably take a hit. And I think that eventually happens with Zach Levine when he gets traded, as I assume will happen. But nevertheless, good showing from the young bull. He clearly knows where his weaknesses lie, and he's been working on them. I would not be upset to see him in one of the final reserve spots as an all-star this year. By the way, all the same things I just said about a good player being surrounded by good talent, all those things apply to Bradley Beal, who's the top player on this chart. He's having a good season as well. If he gets traded, I imagine a lot of his really gaudy numbers uh, will eventually take a hit too. Last up, let's take a look at this week's starting five, focusing on five guys who are still starting their careers, either in their first or second or even in their third years. Even though apparently the whole market doesn't care about young guys anymore, this still is my favorite part of the whole game, uh, but we'll just make this quick. First up, Jalen Noel, the second-year shooting guard of the Minnesota Timberwolves. By the way, Whoever took the team photos for the Timberwolves this year included so much shoulder in it, it's going to be throwing my whole slide off, which is kind of annoying, but whatever. Uh, Jalen Noel, he's been playing in Jarrett Culver's absence after he went down with a bum ankle. And even though Culver was last year's sixth overall pick and Noel was last year's 43rd overall pick, Jalen Noel has been playing better than Culver by a healthy margin. In his last 11 games, he has 11 and a half points, two rebounds, and an assist. Nothing to get too excited about, but it is telling that the Wolves' net rating jumps from a minus 14 when Culver plays to a minus 6 when Noel plays. Still, obviously not great, but some encouraging signs for a guy who's finally getting a bit of an opportunity. Next up, Sadiq Bay of the Detroit Pistons. Just before I started recording, he was awarded the Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Big congrats out to Sadiq Bey. He's a legit 3 and D prospect that was coming out of Villanova in this year's draft. Finally starting to show that of late. 
Uh, during this award-winning week, he's averaged 17.8 points, 5.5 rebounds, two assists, and nearly a steal while shooting nearly 70% from downtown, which is obviously unsustainable. But he is shooting 42% from downtown throughout the regular season, so he's very good from deep. Now, with the Pistons announcing that they're planning on parting ways with Blake Griffin, either via trade or buyout, they say, obviously, that's probably going to be a buyout unless they're trading him from Russell Westbrook or something like that. Uh, but Blake Griffin being on the move, that should just mean more minutes for Sadiq Bey to hone his craft. The same goes for Sekou Dumbuya whenever he comes back from his concussion. Darius Garland is our third starter. He's no stranger to this list. Uh, he just continues to be very good. 16 points, two rebounds, five and a half assists, a steal, league average two shooting and hitting 41 and a half percent from three all around pretty good for the 21 year old coming off of a very first, a very rough first season. Uh, also, by the way, he still has only played 79 games in the NBA. So just about one full season under his belt, already making big strides from last year. I still remain high on his future prospects. Next up, the young rookie with the Denver Nuggets, that's Zeke Naji, the 6'9 power forward. He's been basically just this victory cigar for the Nuggets thus far, getting a minute or two every three or so games on average. But he's got almost 19 minutes on the 10th, on, on February 10th, in a win against Cleveland. And then on Valentine's Day, he got almost 24 minutes in a win against the Lakers. He's not filling up the box score by any stretch, but he does what what he does is he comes in, he hits shots. He went five for seven in both games. He hit four threes in each contest. He covered LeBron James for a good chunk of the game the other night, and he really held his own against him. Uh, just very athletic, able to stick in front on defense and then hit threes on offense. His minutes only came with Gary Harris, P.J. Dozier, Paul Millsap, and then some other players being injured, as well as Will Barton being out for personal reasons. So we shouldn't just expect these minutes to continue, but it is cool to see a guy come in for his first real minutes against high-level competition like the Lakers and then show us some real glimmers of potential. And then last up... It's Mo Bamba of the Orlando Magic. He's in his third year. He's averaging not even nine minutes per night. His minutes per game have trended down each of the last three seasons. He's shown flashes from time to time of being a legitimate three-point shooting, shot-blocking big man, but he's gotten no opportunity so far with the Magic. Uh, Steve Clifford was asking him about him the other night, and he responded, our best position by far is the five spot by far. Uh, Vucevic is playing at an all-star level. Kem Birch is not just good now. Kem Birch is having a terrific year. So a lot, it's a lot of that. Bamba is playing between behind two guys who are excelling every night. It's not even close. Our best position is the five. And, and all of that's absolutely true. The Magic have been decimated by injuries this year. The five is their one bright spot on the entire roster. So, yeah, I don't know when he's going to get minutes. But barring any trades, it won't be anytime soon, which is... Too bad, in my opinion, because it sure seems like he could be something. It's just not going to be right now. That's just something for us to monitor as we head into trade season. All right, that's all that I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate you taking out the time to watch my video. Uh, and as always, we'll see you next week. Have a good one.